And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. So, there was an election yesterday. An election took place yesterday. And I'm going to get into all of it. I'm going to break it all down for you, let you guys know what you need to know, and, uh, yeah, do my best to uh, wade through all the narratives and and figure out what is important and what isn't, and uh, it'll it'll be fun. I was joined today by uh, my friend Bradley Devlin from Lone Conservative and the Daily Wire. Um, Always good talking to Brad. Um, Yeah, before we get to our chat on the midterms, got to say hi to our sponsors over at 1776 United. 1776 United is the absolute best conservative apparel company anywhere in the country. These guys are fantastic. Um, All of their clothing is super high quality, super soft. It fits great. All of their all of their artwork, all their designs are super creative. I know there's a ton of apparel companies out there. A lot of their stuff isn't isn't great. A lot of these these mom and pop companies, you know, they they're not that creative. 1776 United is 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 great. All their stuff is fantastic, creative, uh, patriotic. Um, check them out at 1776united.com. That is 1776united.com. Use the promo code gimmicks. Once again, that is the promo code gimmicks for 15% off of your order. You really can't beat that. I also want to say hi to our friends over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and you want to quit, or if you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. Um, And if you vape, you know the difference between normal e-liquid and premium. Premium is the way to go. You gotta gotta smoke premium, um, but they they have the best. All their flavors are delicious. I'm chiefing on some right now. They have any kind of mod, any kind of battery tank, any kind of coil or atomizer, anything you need for your vape setup. They have check them out online at premiervaporandlounge.com. That is premiervaporandlounge.com. They will give you free shipping on all orders over thirty-five bucks. And guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. We'd really appreciate that. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to get involved, you can hit us up over on Patreon. Download the Patreon app or go to patreon.com/slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. You can contribute monthly over there, and there's cool incentives if you choose to do so all right without further ado here is my election 2018 breakdown featuring bradley devlin all right guys we're here with bradley devlin brad thanks for taking the time my friend thank you i'm surprised we're all still alive this morning hey we are hungover but uh we persevere uh as as always um so there was an election last night, or yesterday, rather. Uh, the American people have chosen divided government. Um, both sides can kind of claim victories here. Both parties made gains. Um, both parties lost lost seats as well. Um, we, we can jump right into it. Before we get into the specifics, just, uh, you know, big picture, would you rather be the RNC or the DNC today? Right now, I'd like to be the RNC today. I think the RNC is very happy. They were expecting probably... A- a larger blue wave, um, but they picked up seats in the Senate, which is huge for the Republican Party moving forward towards 2020. Um, but there is some 
worrisome factors when you look at uh, if Democrats decide to put up moderate candidates, suburban voters tend to gravitate towards those candidates, um, especially in contentious districts. So that could be a worrying sign for possibly a Biden 2020 pen, uh, presidential run if you're the RNC. And if you're the DNC, um, you're happy that you have the House. Uh, you thought you were going to win a lot, lot bigger. Um, but it became clear pretty early on that the blue wave wasn't going to be as big as everyone expected. So it's probably going to be about a D plus 28 to plus 35, uh, somewhere in between there. And they were hoping for something more along the lines of plus 38 to plus 50. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I feel the exact same way. Um, you said it well there. Um, it's projected right now that there are a handful of uh, House races out in California that are still undecided, but it's looking like the Dems will have a 228 to 207 majority, plus or minus a couple seats. Um, so they'll have a, a slim 11-seat majority. Um, yeah, clearly not a blue wave, but they did take the House. You know, we are looking at a, a Speaker Nancy Pelosi once again. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, so, so, so far, Republicans have picked up a few... Senate seats. They have uh, 53 secured right now. There's uh, two Senate seats that are too close to call, Arizona and Montana. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say we win Arizona and lose Montana, which would give us a 54-46 uh, uh, margin in the Senate. Uh, but, you know, we, we could flip Montana as well. We could have mm -hmm. as many as 55 Republicans. You know, I, I basically predicted we'd lose 30 or 35 seats in the House, and that's exactly what happened. I, I thought we'd pick up one or two seats in the Senate. So, um, in my opinion, the GOP actually overperformed uh, in the Senate races. And then I kind of had a, a horrible feeling about the governor's races. I thought we'd kind of get wiped out. And we did lose a few, but uh, the GOP held their own in, in a lot of these, these governor's races. Um, what, what are a couple of the races? We'll, we'll dig into all of them, but what are a couple that really stood out to you? I was really paying attention to Florida last night. I think right. Florida was really, really important uh, to see just how much the media stood by Gillum um, and and Nelson and, and the people going against the GOP in Florida, it was incredible to see how well DeSantis and Scott performed. Uh, um, Scott's challenger still isn't giving in, even though Scott is up and will most likely be the next senator from Florida. And Ron DeSantis, even though the media tried to label him as a racist and a bigot and a homophobe, um, Florida voters were able to see through all that. And it's interesting to see the media's influence or how the media's influence is waning um, because no people no longer trust the media uh, in the coverage of these – in the lead-up to these elections. So uh, it was it was really good to see Ron DeSantis win. I think Ron's a great guy. I've been able to meet him once or twice, which is awesome. Yeah, and I, I agree. Florida was, was a big one, and I was really worried about Florida. Um, and honestly, yesterday before uh, polls closed, if you would have told me we either Ron DeSantis or Rick Scott, one of them would win, I'd be like, OK, I, I'd take that deal. <laughs> you know, they were both polling down right. like neither one of them had, had been ahead in any polling in the last month. Um, it was looking I mean, really, really bad for both of them. But, yeah, Ron DeSantis defeated Andrew Gillum, a, a socialist, um, to become the next Florida governor. And Rick Scott, who's been a very effective two term governor, defeated Bill Nelson. Um, I don't know why. Bill Nelson won't won't bow out. He's he's down thirty five thousand uh, votes with one hundred percent of precincts reporting. So I don't I don't really know what he's doing there. But yeah, Rick Scott will be the next senator um, from Florida. And you know it's been it's been something like fifteen years since Florida's had a uh, a Democrat governor. 
and now you know both of their their United States senators are Republicans. So it, it's almost looking like Florida is is you know instead of a straight purple state, maybe leaning more red overall. I think it is leaning more red. I mean, look at last night, 538 projected that Bill Nelson had a 7 in 10 chance of winning that seat, and Rick Scott completely flipped that race on its head. Um, and Rick Scott was saying, listen, our internal polls are looking well, uh, are looking good. We're, we're, we're feeling good about tonight, and I think we're going to do well. And he did end up, uh, up doing well. And I also thought the Wisconsin race uh, with Scott Walker, even though he was a presidential candidate in 2016 and a very effective guy. Governor, he became very unpopular uh, after twenty after the twenty sixteen election, and it looks like he was running the race as an underdog. He kept uh, pushing this underdog message, even though he was a two term governor. Right. So, and the fact that he is within a point one to point three percentage uh, margin in that race, it looks like it looks like he's down what thirty vo- thirty thousand votes um, in in the final count there right right thirty thousand. that may be close enough to trigger an automatic recount but yeah i, I think uh scott walker i still think done. he's gonna yeah, yeah. And that, i still think he's gonna one. lose but that's he was projected for... to get blown out right 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 yeah and that that is a big loss for wisconsin um but some of the other the other uh, governor's races mike dewine in ohio won and he had not been ahead in any polling at all i, th- I believe since like June or something like that. He's been trailing Richard Cordray in, in every single poll, uh, and he ended up winning by four and a half points. Uh, the polls had him down three. So the polling was way off in Ohio, and uh, thank God Mike DeWine got in there. Yes, absolutely. I'm very, very happy that Mike DeWine was able to pull off that victory because, I mean, we if, if, pre- if President Trump is going to hold in 2020, we need to perform well in states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio in Pennsylvania, all of those Rust Belt states that he took by storm in 2016, we need to make sure we help we hold them. And I'm still worried that Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin are going to be flipped blue in the next election if we are not playing our cards correctly in those states. Right. Um, a few other governor's races that did go the Re- Republicans' way, Georgia. Um, Democrats were really targeting Georgia. The uh, Socialist Democrats going to lose there. Uh, Democrats really thought they could flip uh, New Hampshire as well. They thought they could take out Chris Sununu. Sununu won by six points. They were really targeting Iowa as well, but Iowa went red by five points. Um, so it, we did. We lost Walker. We lost the Michener, uh, Michigan uh, governorship. But, uh, look, on, on the governor's side, it could have been so much worse. And I, I was— feeling very pessimistic about my home state of Ohio and about Florida. Um, and it could have been a lot worse. I, I think the Democrats are going to be kicking themselves pretty hard today um, about some missed opportunities. I agree. I think that the governor race, I mean, we held 33 seats. Right. For, for I mean, around the country for governors. The Re- Republicans held 33. That is an incredible number. Um, so it was inevitable that we were going to lose some, but the fact that we were able to hold some and hold some of these seats with an overwhelming majority in an election where everyone thought that it was the doomsday scenario for the Republicans is very, very promising moving forward, and especially in those in those key states. So um, kudos to the, to the RNC for getting the money out where it needed to go, um, and kudos Kudos to these, to you know, all the walkers and the volunteers. If you volunteered on a 
campaign or you work the phone booth. I mean, this is this is the product of your labor. Republicans are always the ones who are going out and knocking on doors because we understand that it's about grassroots movements, it's about grassroots sentiments towards these candidates uh, and towards the president's agenda that will get people out to vote. It's those personal connections. Um, and the Democrats think that they can, you know, dominate the media and dominate social media and uh, just, you know, ride their own their own wave and their own popularity in pop culture. But that's not that's not how middle America works. And the Democrats have a key misunderstanding about that are about that type of culture. Yeah, I think the perfect example of that is, is Beto O'Rourke down in Texas losing to Ted Cruz. Um, he spent something like $70 million, most of which coming from out of state, um, in the most you know expensive Senate race of all time. I believe Cruz spent about $30 million, which is still a ton of money, but it was severely outspent by the Democrats. And, and I, I mean, I don't know why the Democrats thought they could flip Texas blue, but um, thank goodness <laughs> the, the blue wave did not happen down there. Yeah. Yes, I was so relieved when Ted Cruz uh, ended up winning. Beto O'Rourke came out early, and he came out strong. Um, he was up a good five to seven points on Ted Cruz for about an hour, and then those more rural districts started uh, started reporting. Those precincts came in, and Ted Cruz, you know, handily beat Beto O'Rourke. The interesting thing is the American people elect the person with the most money, ninety-one to ninety-three percent of the time, and it is an interesting scenario in Texas because. The urban areas are getting a lot bluer and not just saying, oh, they're pretty blue. I mean, they are getting much, much bluer, more like the California cities that you're used to seeing instead of, you know, the Florida cities where you're having a, you know, 40, 60 split between a Republican and a Democrat. Well, now you're seeing a more like a 30, 70 split um, like you'd see in California between a Republican and a Democrat. So those are worrying signs for the future of the Republican Party as a whole. Um, but right now, looking forward to 2020, it seems like they're in a good position to hold, hopefully, the Senate, uh, hopefully gain some seats back if the president gets a, you know, a contender that he can really take a bite out of. Um, he can really just slap around. Um, that's going to be good for the Republican Party because the American people like that about President Trump. They like that he is I, – I don't, I don't want to call him a jokester, but he, he understands that, you know – Politics is made fun of by a lot of American Americans throughout the country, and everyone pretending that they're going to die every other second of the day uh, just just helps him just helps him do better. That's the the environment he thrives in. He thrives in that campaign environment, and that's why he was so successful at these rallies, specifically for these Senate candidates that we're talking about right now. Right. I want to talk narrative real quick, and I, I feel like everybody, every pundit, uh, everybody in the media is trying to look at yesterday's results. And come away with like one big picture narrative to explain why everything happened the way it did. And I, I don't think that's going to work. I think there's several. And I want to go through them point by point. I think there's several narratives that are true, and they're all equally true. Um, one, just the obvious point that, uh, with the exception of possibly John Tester in Montana, we don't know if he's going to win or lose out there. But so far, every senator, Democratic senator that voted against Brett Kavanaugh lost. Um, the only Democratic senator that, that did um, vote for Kavanaugh was Joe Manchin in West Virginia, and he won, uh, which is pretty incredible. He won by three points uh, in a state that Trump won by 40, uh, which is incredible. I mean, that just that shows how strong of a, a, a candidate, how talented of a guy he is. Um, but, uh, you know, the rest of them, you know, um, uh, Donnelly, uh, McCaskill, Heidkamp, 
I, I think the common denominator that there is that they voted against Brett Kavanaugh, and that really pissed off a lot of people. I absolutely agree. I think that the Kavanaugh effect was huge in the Senate races, and that's why you're seeing the, the Senate become more Republican red. If the election was held a week after the Kavanaugh hearings, I think that you would have seen the blue wave in the House be a lot smaller. No, I think it would have been a red now, wave. I think it would have been a red wave. I, yeah. Right. I think, I, think, I think it would have been a red wave. I still think the Democrats would have picked up seats, but they would not have gained the majority in the House. And for the historical norms, that would have been considered a red wave. Um, and the, the, the White House would have taken a lot of credit for that. Mitch McConnell uh, would have taken a lot of credit for that. And that's where cr- credit is deserved to go, I mean, if that were the case. But a month after the Kavanaugh hearings and the Kavanaugh confirmation, voters had some time to internalize what had happened and separate that Senate and that House race. Um, So even though if you live in, in Florida and you, or I'm sorry, if you lived in a state like North Dakota and you vote against, uh, and you vote against the democratic incumbent, but you vote for the democratic uh, let's say congressperson in your area. I mean that that that's really what you're looking at there. Yeah, definitely. And another point, and I, I really don't think the Democrats are going to admit this. Um, well, it's probably better f- for Republicans if they don't uh, realize this. But if you look at these House races where Democrats are winning in swing districts, a lot of them are moderate Democrats, or at least moderate in comparison to the majority of the Democratic Party. I don't think I would consider them a, a cent- centrist by any means. But uh, these are moderate. Democrats, not blue dogs, not Joe Manchin's, but moderate, uh, more sensible Democrats winning. All the progressive candidates are losing. Beto O'Rourke is a is a radical progressive. He lost. Andrew Gillum, radical pro- progressive who lost. Uh, the uh, uh, Abrams, uh, who ran for governor of Georgia, radical progressive activist. She lost. Um, I mean, there's a clear sign that, that would actually help the Democratic Party win future elections laid out right in front of them. If you want to win, run a moderate. Uh, I, I don't think their, their base is so far left, though. I just don't think that's going to fly with the Democratic base. I don't think so either, which is why it's on the DNC to make sure they put up candidates. They understand their districts. They understand the states that they're in, and they put up candidates that can overcome their national narrative. I don't think you're going to see a moderate presidential candidate in 2020, but the DNC can still play their cards right and cater to those individuals, um, you know, those that, Tim Ryan types, those Joe Manchin types. They can they can still they can still make those determinations, um, just like the Republican Party did in Georgia sixth when they decided to run Karen Ossoff. And Karen Ossoff hardly ever mentioned the president. Or I'm sorry, when Karen Handel was going against John Ossoff, right? She hardly ever mentioned the president. I mean, she gave him a nod when she won, but it was really worrisome for a while there because. The president really wanted to intervene in the race, and the RNC thought that that, that would actually um, negatively impact Karen Handel's chances. Right, and I, I'm I'm glad that the the DNC is probably not going to learn from these results and start running more moderate uh, candidates, either you know statewide or in a presidential race, because I think Republicans would be in real trouble. Let's say they ran uh, John Hickenlooper. You know, Colorado right. governor who's a moderate, or or ran Tim Ryan, who's not Tim really Tim Ryan. Absolutely, I think Tim, Tim, Ryan Tim Ryan's would be not a moderate. Choice. He he's not a moderate, but he looks like a moderate and sounds like a moderate. Like he knows how to speak moderate. You know, so if they, exactly. if they ran somebody like Ryan or Hickenlooper, I think they'd beat Trump. 
Or if they if yep. they if they ran Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin would smoke Trump in a general election. I, I really believe that. Um, but I I do think that the the progressive base of the Democratic Party is so far left that they just a moderate would never make it out of a presidential primary, which is which is good for Republicans. But what do you have happening on social media? Late last night and early this morning, you have people like freaking Alyssa Milano saying that, oh, Beto O'Rourke lost. Oh, thank goodness. Now Beto can go on and and take on Trump in 2020. Please, Democrats, please make my day and serve up a nice, juicy platter of DUI Beto O'Rourke to sober (laughs) Donald Trump and see how that goes. I beg of you because I if we're going to live this new cycle and this nightmare reality, we might as well just revel in our sins, right? Like, we might as well just go balls to the wall. Right. And just and, a side note, side note, Brad, I, I mean, we have to because the audience w- wants to hear us talk about this stuff, but I, I'm hating myself right now that we're talking about, like, the 2020 presidential election. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> like, hours. I literally, I do. Votes are still being counted on the West Coast, for God's sakes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I don't even know who my next congressperson is going to be, but I'm sitting here saying, <laughs> oh, I'm sure the Democrats will run this person, this person, or right. this person. Um, because, I mean, and that's what everyone was saying. Everyone everyone uh, who is you know deeply involved in political Twitter and uh, the, the dumpster fire that it is was saying, you know, this is when campaigning for 2020 starts. What are the messages that are going to be constructed by each to the parties, and it seems like the GOP was going to be clear on their narrative from the get-go. I mean, that the House is returning to historical norms. We picked up seats in the Senate. That's really, really good for the Republican Party um, and shows the approval of the president's agenda, right? right? And the Democrats are going to say that, well, now we're taking back we're taking back power slowly but surely. The blue wave was just as strong as everyone thought it was. Don't don't believe anyone who says otherwise. And the media will help them propagate that, and people will start to start to believe it. And then they're gonna, and then their candidates will announce, and Donald Trump will go after them relentlessly. Right, and see, both sides are going to double down on the strategy that they used in these midterms. Everybody, I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, I mean, the last several years in politics has just been a giant double down fest. Um, nobody really learns lessons; they just double down no matter what. Like even if the the clear lesson is staring at them right in the face, they'll still double down on their 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 old tired strategies. Both parties have have huge reasons to be concerned. I mean, the the Democrats getting blown out in Florida and Ohio, perhaps the two most important states in presidential politics, should really concern the Democrats because they ran radicals. They ran a radical for Florida governor. They ran a radical for Ohio governor, and they got smoked. Uh, I don't think they're going to learn from that, which benefits our side. And then there's a huge lesson for Republicans as well. And obviously— President Trump does deserve a lot of credit for helping out these Senate candidates. He campaigned his ass off the last month, month and a half. I mean, he did dozens of rallies, multiple rallies in each one of these these swing states. Uh, and he should be commended for that. I, I don't think we would have picked up uh, three, maybe four seats in the Senate without uh, President Trump's hard work. Also, there's a lesson <laughs> staring the Republicans right in the face, though, that I do believe uh, President Trump's rhetoric probably hurt uh, the GOP congressional candidates. You know, throwing the red meat, I think, was specifically geared towards the Senate and probably was a, a little bit of a detriment um, in these House races. I don't think either one of these parties are going to actually learn anything or change anything. They're just going to double down. What do you think? 
I absolutely agree. I think Trump could have done better in those in that time that he spent campaigning, um, appealing to those congressional voters, those moderate voters, those suburban voters that aren't thrilled with some parts of his agenda, but understand that the economy is doing well and that consumer to co- consumer confidence is high. Um, so he could have he could have made more of appeal to that, but instead he decided to go the immigration route. Um, SE Cup was saying that it was about you know the barbarians at the gate um, and. Well, I agree with S.E. Cup on the overall tone of the statement or the overall message of the statement. I think her tone is a bit overblown. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what he decides to do in 2020, because I think he'll end up getting, you know, a Biden and he'll get a Kamala Harris to go after. Um, and it'll be interesting to see which way the Democratic Party decides to go. Right. And I mentioned uh, just a couple more things before we wrap up. I did mention that, you know, in the in these governor's races, it could have been a lot worse for the GOP. Um, we kind of dodged a bullet here. Uh, the Democrats got really, really lucky, specifically in the Senate, that it didn't turn out worse for them. Um, you have to remember, we would have had an extra Senate seat in Alabama if, uh, thanks a lot, Alabama Republicans, for literally nominating a child molester. <laughs> yep. So, um, you know, it would have been nice, you know, to have uh, Luther Strange instead of Doug Jones in, in that Alabama seat. So that that's one seat that, that we should have right now. And also Josh Mandel, who's the outgoing Ohio Attorney General, was running for Senate against uh, incumbent Democrat Sherrod Brown. He was up five points in the polls in uh, July when he had to drop out because his wife was hospitalized and, and he had to drop out of the race to take care of her. Um, he would have smoked Sherrod Brown. Jim Renacci, who, who uh, the Ohio congressman that, that stepped into the race, was kind of a weak candidate and jumping into a statewide race in July is just not enough time to get your name out oh, there absolutely. and do it. So, you know, the Dems did kind of get lucky there. Um, they could be, you know, we could be looking at 56, 57 Senate seats instead of 54 or 55. So they kind of got lucky there. And then just timing with the, the caravan moving towards the border with this mass shooting in Pittsburgh and, and the, the crazy Trump supporter mailing fake bombs all over the place, like all of that stuff happening right before the race. Um, you know, these Florida races may not have even been close without all these negatives um, you know, blasting Republicans. So, you know, the, the Democrats, they, they should be commended. They picked up the House, but uh, they shouldn't be too comfortable either. Neither neither side should be comfortable, but uh, it definitely could have been a lot worse for Democrats, I think. Yeah, and I think that, you know, now we're going to have Speaky Pelosi, Speaker Pelosi, and uh, Trump tweeted out that she deserves the job. And I think Hilarious. that that is oh some gosh. political gamesmanship on Trump's part that is absolute gold, right? He is now foaming at the mouth to get back out on the campaign trail and smack some Democrats around. I mean, he had, you know, he had the campaign trail and he had, first it was the Republican primary and he smacked around a bunch of Republicans. And then it was the general and he smacked around Hillary and then he got elected and then he smacked around Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan because he felt like they weren't for his agenda. And then right. they all got together and decided to smack Democrats, and now he's going to smack Pelosi, right? And then and he's going to th- smack some other Republicans. You know, I think he goes back and forth between who to smack. Let me know if you agree with this. Yeah, I think honestly, this could be a best case scenario for President Trump. Uh, you know, if if Republicans maintain control of the House, it would have been by a very very narrow margin, which means, I mean, with all the the different factions within the GOP, the the Freedom Caucus guys, the Tuesday morning guys, 
if they only had like a six vote, you know, uh, majority in the House, they're not passing shit. Okay, they're not getting anything passed anyway. Um, yep. And and now he doesn't have to attack Paul Ryan because that that was not a good look for the GOP, and that turned a lot of uh, Republicans, you know, more mainstream or establishment type Republicans off to see President Trump constantly going after the Republican Speaker of the House on Twitter. And now Absolutely. Trump doesn't have to do that. He can just go after the Democratic Speaker of the House, and that'll actually unite, you know, establishment Republicans behind him because he's not constantly going to war with people in his own party. I think that will actually be beneficial for his reelection campaign and kind of just uniting the GOP behind him. I agree. I think Pelosi is, you know, the the evil bad guy behind the mask that we needed um, in order to get us ready for 2020. Nancy Pelosi is going to have a very hard time controlling her Democratic colleagues in Congress. A lot of them, a lot of these new progressive candidates that we saw get through, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they want impeachment. Like they want uh, impeachment documents filed now. They want it. They want right. to enter those Nan- documents Nan- now. Nancy and Nancy Pelosi is smart is enough to know that. Yeah, she's smart enough to know that that's a terrible idea. Exactly. That's a horrible idea. Nothing's going to happen, and you're just going to expend a lot of time and political clout over this. And that's not something Nancy Pelosi is willing to do. And it, I think it's very, very similar to when Nancy Pelosi was protested for not being for Dreamers enough. Do you remember that when she was coming right. out and speaking about DACA and that they were hoping to strike a deal on DACA that – DACA recipients actually protested her and saying that she wasn't doing enough. And she's sitting here saying, well, this is politics. I'm doing everything that I can. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing that Nancy Pelosi is going to have to deal with her new, more far left base that she didn't have to deal with before. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm just checking right now to see if either any of those West Coast races have been called. Um, We're still looking at Arizona and Montana Senate races still too close to call. Um, I'm not seeing any movement on the California House races either. Um, yeah, big well, big congratulations to hopefully young Kim. She seems to be up right now. Um, that's my home district in the 39th uh, district of California. She's going to be the first Korean American woman to serve in the U.S. Congress if she wins. Um, right. and she hasn't and been covered I at all. So, she's so congratulations up. to her. I believe yes, she, she should is win that race. Yeah. Yeah, is she was up handily for a while, and then her challenger uh, if. 538 decided to switch it to a lean dem um but young kim has been on the oc politics scene for quite some time uh, she's fantastic yeah, she's um, a very, so very really, good really, candidate oh i'm really really excited to uh see what she does uh i worked for her old boss ed royce this summer in congress and you know she, she is i've heard so many stories about her she's she's ready to go she's ready to fight that fight Right. Yeah, I think there's there's been on, on the GOP side. I, I'm I'm very happy with with some of the candidates that we are sending to uh, uh, to Washington this time around. I think there are Josh Hawley, for instance, in in Missouri. I think he's 37 years old. He'll be the youngest senator um, in a long time. And he's a very bright guy, very articulate. Um, I think Braun in Indiana is, is a good is a good candidate. Um you know, obviously, I think DeSantis and, and, and Mike DeWine both are going to make great governors. So, I mean, I think there is a, a really deep bench on the Republican side right now and and, uh, and and some younger candidates as well. And, you know, th- there is a lot to be excited about if you're a Republican. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the future is very, very bright. I think this new generation, our generation of, you know, conservatives that grew up in the Trump era, 
um, that are highly educated. It's going to be it's going to be really really good to see because we've been we've been growing up around social media and understanding how to portray our Republican message um, to a lot of our friends that are are fairly liberal and can we can still get those values to resonate with them and hopefully that we can carry that on to our professional careers. So absolutely, couldn't agree more. All right, Brad Devlin, thanks so much for coming on. I'll have you back soon. Where can everybody find you online? Thank you so much. Uh, on Twitter, my name is at Bradley Devlin. Um, so please follow me on there and check out for my columns on Lone Conservative. And every once in a while, I write for the Daily Wire. All righty. Everybody check that out. Follow Brad. He's great. Uh, I'm Brady Leonard. I will be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Mm-hmm.